of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to continue uh, our journey into the heart of Paul. The, the cool thing about it as we go through uh, 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul's straightening out all the things, all the issues, all the stuff that, that they had problems with. 2 Corinthians, Paul's just opening up his heart to them, and, and uh, I think we'll really see that as we take a look. And as we take a look, remember back in, in chapter 4, when we were taking a look at that, we'll just back up a little bit. He says in verse 15, For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. We look as he's closing out chapter 4, he's talking about this concept where we put our eyes on the temporal and we forget about the eternal. We put our eyes on the things that are passing away as, that, as though that's the end-all, beat-all, and we forget that we have an eternal weight of glory awaiting us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and bring you unto myself, that where I am, you will be also. Jesus said, Jesus said, we will spend eternity with him. And we forget that when we see the waves and the storm and the wind blowing, right? We forget that when we're going through struggles and, and hard times. And as Paul says here at the end of chapter 4, though our, our outward man is perishing... Our inward man is renewed day by day. Though the outward man is, is dying and fading away, and that, the Bible says, we're all 100% guaranteed, short of Jesus Christ's return, is appointed unto man once to die. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And to be present with the Lord is incredible. It is an awesome thing. Paul's saying, look, we put our eyes on the temporal. We're being like Peter, outside of the boat, looking at the waves. What happened to him? He sank. But when he put his eyes on Jesus, the eternal, that which never changes, what happened? He could walk on the water. If we look at our lives, you and I, and we find ourselves sinking in the waves, it should be a warning sign to us. My eyes are on the temporal, the temporary and my eyes are not on the permanent, that which is going to last forever. And this is the concept that Paul's laying out. He says in verse 18 of chapter 4, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Keep our eyes on that which lasts forever. That which lasts forever. He says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. This is the first time, folks, the first time in all of Paul's writings, he has written that it's possible that he might die before Christ returns. First time. Every other time Paul writes, he's looking for the expectant return of Jesus Christ. 
He's living every day so that he can be found doing those things which Jesus has called him to do at his return. But now, you know, things are getting a little rough on Paul. Paul's been through the ringer a bit. Paul's looking ahead at maybe Caesar's not going to release me out of prison. Maybe uh, 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 this is the end. Maybe this is how it all winds down. But look what he says. But if this is the end, if this is the time when our earthly tent is destroyed, we have a house. What's the difference between tent and house? Temporary. Temporary. Tent is temporary nobody is going to go to family camp set up a tent and then go inside and hang a bunch of pictures and and make the inside of the tent all spiffy why because we're tearing it down in a little while we're going to just take that down and we're going to go back home where you can have a shower where you can be clean nothing feels quite as good after camping as that nice hot shower when you get home not that camping's not fun it's great but it's temporary the tent is temporary the house is permanent the house made that jesus said right john chapter 14 i go to do what prepare a place for you so paul says listen if our tent is destroyed we have a building from god a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens now the one thing different about our house and the house we have in heaven is the house that we have here falls apart i have to fix things windows break doors stop closing or doors don't open variety of things can take place in this house here but we have a house not made with hands how is it that god created the heavens and the earth he spoke and it was he didn't have to get out there with hammer and nails to create the world and the same is true about the house the body that he has for you and I. It's eternal. Isn't that good news? Let me tell you. All my joints hurt. My, you see the little knot on my head? <laughs> I'm not telling you how I got it because it's too ridiculous of a story. But this body is falling apart. I can go open up the, the family album and scroll through pictures back when I was in the Marine Corps and say, Wow, look at that guy. What happened to him? But the point is, it's temporary. It's temporary. What is eternal is what matters. That's temporary. What's eternal is what matters. We have a building made from God, a house not made with hands, eternal. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. He says, in this we groan. And it, when you're young, it doesn't happen so much. But I bet Jason groaned this morning. You groan this morning getting up? Yeah. He got whooped yesterday. But that... Oh, was I not supposed to say anything? Don't tell that story? <laughs> you know, some of us who are older, we eventually stop wrestling with our kids, right? Because the time comes where you might still be able to beat them, but you're going to have to work real hard at it and probably cheat. So Jason's just coming up to that time. So I pay the price today. The point is, when we get up in the morning, we groan. Oh, we groan. But the groaning that we have, the groaning that, that creation has, is a groaning for the Savior. 
When we get up in the morning and we hear that noise, when we get up, it should remind us that we are looking for the permanent solution of Jesus Christ, our Savior. I cannot wait till Jesus comes back. I cannot wait to cash in the body that I run into the ground for one that I can't run into the ground. Now that sounds kind of fun to me. Opens up a lot of possibilities. I want to have a mindset, a heart, a desire to keep my eyes on that which will never perish. My relationship with my loving Father. So I groan, looking forward to that. Folks, if you're not looking forward to being with Jesus, your eyes are on the temporary. If your eyes are focused on, on what you can do at work, how much you can make, or, or what's going on around you, and you're trying to build up for you a kingdom, you're going to get burned out, wore out, run into the ground. Because my eyes are on the temporary. I want to put my eyes on the permanent. I want to keep my eyes on Him, on the prize, on Jesus Christ. I want to have that so that I groan, but when I groan, I'm groaning for Him. I'm groaning for that time when all this junk is over. Eternity. The Bible says over and over and over again, our our life is like grass. It's here, and then it's gone. It's like a breath, the Bible says. Because what we live here, though for us, 70, 80, 100 years, perhaps more, it's, it's an incredible time. It is so tiny in comparison to eternity. That the Lord calls the things we go through, the troubles we face here, a light affliction. Even though we think, man, I don't know if I could take much more. But he says, it's a light affliction. Paul would say, for it is not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. The permanent versus the temporary. He wants our eyes to be on the... On the permanent, verse 3 says, If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we are, for we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. What's he talking about? He's talking about when we arrive in heaven, we're instantly, there's no purgatory. The Bible doesn't teach purgatory anywhere. The Bible teaches absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, he says you won't be unclothed. You will not be a disembodied spirit. But when you arrive in the presence of God, right now, right there, you are together with Christ in heaven. You want to really fry your noodle? The Bible says in the book of Ephesians... That we are already seated with Christ in heavenly places. But we're here. Where's the body of Christ right now? Christ's body's in heaven, seated at the next, next to the Father. There are those teachers who would say, when that day comes and God calls us home, the reason we're not going to miss anybody that we left behind is because we're going to look around and they're already there. Heaven outside of time. Ooh. It cooks my, it cooks my, it cooks my noodle. I don't get it. But the important thing is, if I, if I make my effort here and I keep my focus on the temporary and I do everything here to take care of the temporary, what have I done to take care of the permanent? Paul says, don't live your life for what is fading away. Jesus said, don't give everything you have just to have more here. Keep your eyes on heaven. Be moving toward that goal that, that 
I, I, maybe I'm not going to be able to take anything with me, but I can certainly send ahead the things which I do on this earth for the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul's saying, keep your eyes off the temporary. We have a body that God has prepared for us, eternal in the heavens. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us as, who also has given us a spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee is an interesting word in the Greek. The word is archaban. It means a pledge, a promise. You know how they uh, define it today? That's the word they use for engagement ring. Isn't that interesting? So we have the Spirit of God given to us, that engagement ring, that promise that God says, I'm giving you the Spirit and I'll never take the Spirit away. He's with you. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into your life. Now whether or not we live our life in submission to the Spirit, that's up to us. But the Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is in our life, and it's God's promise that I will come back for you. That you belong to me. What does the Bible call it when we sit down at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb? It's, that, it's the, the bride of Christ, the church, where, with the engagement ring, the promise of the Spirit, that God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You belong to to me and the promise is the holy spirit now what does the holy spirit do for us folks the holy spirit works in our life to convict us of sin areas in our life we need to get rid of what else does the holy spirit do the holy spirit works in our life to instruct us through the word of god so that when we read the word of god it can make sense to us because the holy spirit opens the eyes of our understanding that we might be able to see what else does it do the holy spirit empowers us to be what God's calling us to be. He empowers us to keep our eyes on the permanent and take them off the temporary. Now, that's easier said than done. But there is great reward for us when we learn to take our eyes off the temporary, this, this light affliction, this trouble for now, and realize that we have an eternal home in the heavens that will last for all time. He goes on to tell us, so, in verse 6, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. He says, hey, we're confident. While I'm in this body, I'm absent from the presence of God. I'm not in heaven. I'm here. I'm, I'm here in this body. And he says, I can be confident and I can know that I can fulfill that work which God's given me to do. He said, Jesus said, occupy till I come. Occupy. He didn't say nothing about building kingdoms. He didn't say nothing about uh, amassing riches. He said, occupy till I come. We're still to do business. We're still to do the things that God has laid out for us. But what's our focus? Is our focus on the temporary. You remember the story Jesus told of a man who, who had this great harvest? His harvest was so great he didn't have barns big enough to hold it. And the man said, I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to fill those barns. And after those barns are full, then I'm going to take my ease. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus said, thou fool. 
You spent your life after the temporary and not in the eternal. Today, your soul is required of you. I want to come to Jesus fulfilling the call that God has on my life, on on our lives. We want to do those things which God has called us to do. In verse 7, he says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Listen, even though I'm in this body and I don't see Jesus, I know he's with me because he promised that he would be with me. But if we walk by sight, what are we looking at? The waves and the storm. If we walk by faith, what are we looking at? Jesus Christ. We walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. It's not about how big the problem can look. How, to- how, how horrible the situation can be. It's about not staring at that. Not focusing on that 24-7 and realizing that in every situation we find ourselves in, God has a plan, a purpose, a work that He wants to do in our life. So we walk by faith and not by sight. We know that the Lord is present with us. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, that to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But look what he says. Therefore, because we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. Is that your goal? Is that our goal when we wake up in the morning? I want to spend this day being well-pleasing to the Lord. Well, Paul's going to tell us why That ought to be our goal. But it's important that we recognize that's what God desires in a relationship from us. That we live our life for he who gave his life for me. That we live our life as his hands and feet. That we do the things that God's calling us to do. And that our focus in the morning or our focus in the afternoon or in the midst of work when that, when our boss is yelling at us and, and chaos is happening or something nutty is going on, that we don't lose sight of the fact that I'm living my life to be well-pleasing to Him. Every opportunity is an opportunity for us to do that. To live a life well-pleasing, acceptable to God, that that's our focus, that that's our desire. Listen, in the beginning of chapter 5, he's talking about this house in heaven and the new body and eternity with Christ. And now he says, listen, heaven is not just a destination, it's a motivation. Because when we go, how do we want to arrive? Do we want to arrive? Nobody knows we snuck in. I didn't think you were going to make it, Jackie. Or do we want to come in having known that we have finished the race that God gave us to run? That we have accomplished the goal, that we have kept the faith, that we have fought the good fight of faith. Do we want to finish our race in that way? He says, therefore, it's our aim, our goal, our, our, our plan, everything that we're about that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I want to live my life to be well-pleasing to Him. My choices, my decisions, everything I do, am I doing it so that I might be well-pleasing to God? That needs to be our goal. Why? Look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body 
according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. The Bema Seat. Now, I don't want you guys to lose sight of what this is. It's not a judgment seat where salvation is decided. To be absent from the body, present with the Lord, salvation is decided. That's done. This is the Bema Seat. What does that mean? The Bema Seat was where the, the governor of a city or the, the ruler of a city would set. For example, when the Olympiads were going through Greece, at the Bema Seat, when the runner had run his race and won that race, he would come to the Bema Seat, the judgment seat. And the judge, or the governor, the ruler of that city, would stand up and place on his head the Stephanos, the crown, for having finished his race. That's the picture. It says, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, turn with me to the left, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. First Corinthians chapter three, let's look at verse nine and on. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another will build on it. But let each one take heed how he builds. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. The judgment seat of Christ. How are you building on the foundation that Jesus Christ has laid? Well, Jackie, what are you talking about? Where does this fire come from? It comes from Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And in that unveiling of Jesus Christ, you remember how it describes his eyes? He has eyes how? As a flame of fire. He has eyes as a flame of fire. What's that mean? When you look into Jesus' eyes, all your works, all the things we've ever done will be laid bare. And not just what we've done, but why we've done it. Who received the glory? For whom was it accomplished? All of those things will be decided. Is it some painful thing? No, Jesus is just going to look at us with eyes of a flame of fire and that which is wood, hay, and straw, what happens to it in fire? Poof, it's gone. What about gold, silver, precious gems? They remain. And what will the ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords do? He will take our reward and place on our head, just as they did in Greece, the Stephanos, the crown of of victory the crown of victory will be placed there in that place as we take a look and we we see what it is that god is laying out for us here come with me to john chapter 5 the gospel of john we look at john chapter 5 verse 24 
He says this, listen. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. What's being accomplished? What's Jesus talking about? Listen, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Salvation is clear. The judgment is not a judgment in regard to salvation, but a judgment in regard to works. What have we done for him? What do we have to give to the one who gave everything for us? His gift to us is salvation. He's given that to us. Our gift to him is what we do with it. Are we just going to take it in the backyard and bury it? Hide it in the ground because we're afraid of what could happen if we actually utilize the gifts that God's given us? He wants us. He wants us. To live our life desiring to be well-pleasing to Him. That that's our focus. For whoever hears my word and believes, he has everlasting life. neat thing about everlasting life, once it starts, it's everlasting. It doesn't end. It doesn't end. Everlasting life is everlasting 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as we just come on our, on our way back to 2 Corinthians, we'll stop by. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? So what's his, what's his command to us? What's his desire of us? So run in such a way that you may obtain it. We're running a race, every one of us. Not any one of us is running the same race. We have our own specific race of faith that God has called us to run. And he says, run it to win. Don't just coast. Run it to win. Living every day to be well-pleasing to the Lord. That that's our goal. I want to be well-pleasing. Why do I want to be well-pleasing? Because one day I'm going to stand before him. And I want to hear, well done. Not... I didn't think you were going to make it, Jackie. You pulled it out at the last minute. That's not what I want to hear. Listen, the very next verse, look what it says. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. What is the terror of the Lord? It's not the terror that God's going to do something horrible to you or that God's going to hurt you. Why? You're his bride. You have an engagement ring. You have an appointment at the, at the marriage supper of the Lamb. No, God's, God's not going to hurt you. That's not what the terror is about. I have a fear of my mother. Now, I'm pretty sure I could take mom. If I had to, I think I could take her. My fear has nothing to do with my ability to out-wrestle Ma. What is the fear of mom? The fear of mom is that in my life, I will hear from her lips, I'm so disappointed in you. That's the fear of mom. That's the fear of dad. And for us who struggle with the concept of the fear of the Lord, that's the fear of the Lord. 
I don't want to stand at the Bema Seat judgment of Christ and, and, and have my life laid bare before me as Jesus looks at me with eyes of a flame of fire. He's going to be able to see right through me. Was there anybody Jesus stood before that could pull the wool over his eyes? Every time the Pharisees or somebody was trying to trap him, didn't Jesus see exactly what to do and how to respond? Is it going to be any different when we stand before him? We're not going to hide anything from him. The last thing I want is to stand on that day for the eternal, for that which is lasting, and disappoint the one who gave everything for me. Jesus, when asked, hey, prove that you're God and come down off that cross. He didn't do it. Why? He was going to finish his race. The race that was laid out before him. And he finished his race with joy, despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the Father. He didn't do his job halfway. He did it all the way. And he says to you and I, take up your cross. Come follow me. Take up the cross and live your life. To be well-pleasing to the Lord. That that's our goal. That that's our focus. So that we stand in that place. Jesus looks at us with a big smile on his face. And he says, well done. You finished your race. You didn't have a bunch of excuses. You just said, I'm going to do what God's given me to do. I'm going to finish the things that God's given me to finish. Hey, I'm I'm done. I've accomplished it. And and Jesus is going to lay on your head the Stephanos, the crown of victory. There are five crowns mentioned in the Bible that believers can receive. Five. What's the importance of the crowns? Chapter 5. Revelation. The 20 and 4 elders, representative of the priesthood or the body of Christ, are standing before Jesus as He is on the crystal sea. And the scripture declares that they will sing the song of the redeemed. Who's redeemed? The church, right? They'll see the song of the redeemed, and what will they do with their crowns? Cast them at the feet of Jesus Christ. In our pale thanksgiving for what Almighty God has done for us. You really want to be found empty on that day. While everyone else has something to give, all we did was get salvation, but we didn't do anything with it. Paul says that's our motivation. Remember the scripture we've been talking about revival? What did it say? Revival begins where? Judgment begins in the house of God. Do you know what the rest of that verse says? If judgment begins in the house of God, what will be their end? Paul says, knowing therefore what's at stake, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men but we are well known to god and i also trust are well known in your conscience we persuade men what's paul's reaction to heaven what's paul's reaction to the glorious body the 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 corruptible putting on incorruption the mortal putting on immortality he says now i want to live my life to be well pleasing to god because there are people out there every day that are going to hell every day What are we doing with the salvation that God has given to us? Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, those things which are coming, we persuade men. 
For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but we give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. You remember when we started the book, Paul said, do we have to bring letters of recommendation? I mean, you guys know us. We started the church here. You see the work of God in our life and what's going on. Paul says here, listen, guys, we're not here to commend ourselves. We're here to commend the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're different from those who would boast in appearance and not in heart. Who would say, look how great I am. And we can hang all the diplomas and all the degrees on the wall. But all the diplomas and all the degrees on the wall don't mean nothing compared to the call of God. And fulfilling the call of God. We can make excuses. I would do the things that God wants me to do only if I had the right amount of training. Really? All you have to do is, is do what God's called you to do. Share the words God gives you to share. Not be afraid to open your mouth. What did Jesus say? Don't be afraid to open your mouth on that day for the Holy Spirit will give you utterance. He'll give you the words to say. And all of us have experienced at one time or another sharing with somebody maybe who's hurt and all of a sudden we're able to recite a verse. We don't ever remember memorizing. We're able to, to share with them hope. We're able to give them something. What is that? The work of the Holy Spirit in our life. All we have to do is be obedient to open our mouths and allow God to move through us. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are of sound mind, it's for you. Literally in the Greek, he says, if we're crazy, it's for God. And if we're of sound mind, it's for you. A lot of times people look at, at people doing things for the Lord and they say, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, we can find a hundred stories like that in the Old Testament, right? You know, Joshua in the battle of Jericho, that's crazy. But he was crazy for who? Crazy for God. And if he's of sound mind, who's that for? Everybody else. We'll be crazy for God, but a sound mind for everyone else. Whatever it is that God's calling, however God's directing, to live their life in an order to bring honor and glory, majesty to the one who gave everything for us. Look at verse 14. Why? For the love of Christ compels us. Love of Christ compels us. For when we were yet sinners... Christ died for the ungodly. There was nothing we did that, that made Christ desire to say, man, I really need Jackie on the team. No. While I was a sinner at enmity with God, an enemy of God, he came, born of man, born of flesh, that he could put his hand in my hand and his hand in the Father's hand and bridge the gap between us. The love of Christ compels me. Compels me. The thing, why do missionaries go across the country and leave behind a variety of things? There, there are missionaries today in Afghanistan who have given up everything to be there. With the concept, with their, with their children and everybody that's with them, at any moment, if someone figures out that they're there and what they're doing, they could die right now. Why do they do that? Do they do that in hopes that they're going to get a bigger crown than everyone else? No. The love of Christ compels them. They love Him, and that's a call that God laid in their life. That's their race. Does that mean my race has to take me to Afghanistan? No, my race is mine. Where is God leading you? Is God calling you to serve a children's ministry? Because we got lots of kids. 
People are having babies like crazy. Have you noticed? Something in the water. The Dailies just had their baby, right? A healthy baby girl. Six pounds, some ounces. 20 inches long. I understand she's beautiful. Who's going to teach her the word? Who's going to help her grow up and love Christ? Who's going to help the children? We can all sit back and say, I need to receive. Who is God called to give? Who is God called to serve, to fulfill those opportunities? That's our race, whatever it is. Whatever direction that God's leading us. There's so many opportunities for people to plug in and take the salvation that Jesus has given them and do something with it. Bring others into the kingdom of God. So many opportunities. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were a dead man. The Bible says in Second or Galatians chapter 2, we have been crucified with Christ. The whole picture of baptism, what's it all about? That my life was dead. I was dead in trespasses and sin. But I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he made me alive. From the temporary to the permanent. I go under the water and I die to the old way of living. And I come up a new creation created in Christ Jesus. The whole purpose, the whole picture that it's painting. He says here, if Christ died, if one died for all, then we are all dead in Christ. That's a good thing. Why is that a good thing? What's the wages of sin? Who died for us? Jesus. So we are all dead men. What power does the law have over a dead man? None. One died for us. Then we are all dead. We're all dead. But look what else. That's not the end. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So when I come up out of that water of baptism, I come up out of that water to newness of life. What's my purpose? To live my life for the one who gave everything for me. Not to live my life for myself. Does that mean I shouldn't take care of my family and I shouldn't do the things? No, that's not what it's talking about. What is your goal in life? Your goal in life is just to build bigger barns. You're missing the picture. Our goal in life is to live a life well-pleasing to the Lord. To finish the race that God's given us to run. To accomplish that which God's given us to do. And to do it, unlike the children of Israel... They'll grumble and complain the whole time. But rather, to be well-pleasing in His sight. Live our life to be well-pleasing for Him. He says dying in Christ should lead to living for Christ. Dying in Christ should lead to living for Christ. Therefore, from now on we regard no one according to the flesh. What's he saying? From now on, therefore, from now on, there will be no superficial personal judgments about other people. We regard no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him that way no longer. Why? Because in the flesh, the flesh was temporary. The spirit is permanent. We, Paul says we knew Christ in the flesh, but, but we don't know him that way anymore. Now we know him as a, in heaven. We, we know him permanent. We know him as the one, the God that gave everything for us that we can have everything that God wants to give us. We don't know him that way anymore. We're not going to worry about the flesh. This is, this is the death of self. Regard no one. By the way, I am no one. And I'm not supposed to regard myself after the flesh. Death of self. The greatest disease in our nation is not heart disease, cancer, or anything else. The greatest disease in our nation is selfishness. It's all about me. Gotta get yours. What's in it for me? How does this make me feel? You go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist and it's all about what makes you happy. What is, when did, it, when did it, we ever decide that somewhere in our lives the most important thing was my personal happiness? Not the most important thing. Does that mean if I follow the Lord and I do things for Him, I'll never be happy? Well, no, that's not what it means. Means we need to get our eyes off of ourself and pour ourself into Him. And watch what God does. A little boy one day was walking around and he's carrying around this, this sad little lunch. Sad little lunch. He had a couple of uh, loaves of bread and a few small fish. And he's carrying this and he sees this big crowd of people and this big crowd of people all gathered around. He hears people saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're, the Lord told us to sit down and he's going to feed us. But I don't know how God's going to feed us. I mean, we don't have anything. And I bet most of those people had more than that little boy did. But what did that little boy do with his? He walked up to the Lord. He says, Lord, I have my little lunch. I'll give that to you. What did God do with his lunch? Fed 5,000 people. I don't have much to give to the Lord. Good. He doesn't need much. Just needs a willing heart to say, this is what I have to give. Watch God bless it. Watch God do the impossible in and through us. I regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him that way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation Old things have passed away. Passed away is in the aorist tense. It means it's something that happened once in history that has a lasting effect. Old things are passed away. They're gone. Behold, all things have become new. That's in the perfect tense. That means it's eternal. All things become new. We get away from the temporary and into the permanent. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You hear reconciled a few times in those verses? 
think it's important for us to understand what reconciled is all about. The word in, in Hebrew, or I'm sorry, the word in Greek is katechizo. It means to change a relationship permanently. To change our relationship permanently. Complete and utter change of a relationship. Well, what's he saying? Look, he said, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to him. God has changed our relationship with him. What does he require of us? Romans 10, 9 and 10. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That's what he requires of us. We place our trust in him. And then God has reconciled us to himself. How did he do it? He did it through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? He's given us the ability to take what God has done for us in our lives and take it to someone else and show them how to have God do the same thing in their life. The ministry of reconciliation that you can permanently change another person's relationship with God just by introducing them with Jesus. I don't have to do anything. I just got to take them to the Lord. You remember the disciples when they, when they met uh, people that had diseases or that were filled with demons that they couldn't help what they do? Brought them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Come and see, go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. That's all he calls us to. The ministry of reconciliation. You got to get to know Jesus, who he is, what he does, how he heals, how he sets us free, how he gives us the strength we need for the things that we face. The ministry of reconciliation, to have a right relationship with God. My relationship with God is utterly changed because of what Jesus Christ did for me. And I put my faith and trust in him. And God reconciled me with himself through the blood of his son. That's what the scriptures are talking about. Listen, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. To impute is to charge to their account. Anybody here not a sinner? I can, we can solve that if you raise your hand, because that make you a liar. And then you'd be a sinner. What he's saying here in this verse is, listen. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. How? By not imputing their sins, their trespasses to you and I or to those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Not by imputing them to them. Who did he impute them to? Jesus Christ. Upon the cross. He took all the world's sin. All the world's sin. Remember Jesus praying in the garden of Gatshmone, Gethsemane? He prayed, Lord, if there's any way that I not have to drink this cup, what was in that cup? All the sin of the world, past, present, future. Jesus, by his death on the cross, paid the price for every sin ever committed that will ever be committed. All of it. He took it all upon himself. So when we put our faith in Him, our sin was laid on Christ. Therefore, it's not charged to me. 
He paid my debt. He paid the bill. He paid the price. So that all the world could have be reconciled to God. A relationship totally changed. A relationship new. A relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen. So he says, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation, made right with God. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us. <clears throat> we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Have your relationship with God made right. Radically changed forever. How? I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised Him from the dead. Jesus is my Savior. I make Him my Lord and Savior. Put my faith and trust in Him. That everything around me is temporary and He is permanent. And one day we will be with Him forever. We will experience the permanence. No death, no sorrow, no sickness, no tears. Paul says, and we'll get to it a little later in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, 14 years ago, a man I knew went to heaven. Then later on, he tells us it was him. He was stoned while he was in, in Lystra and left for dead in the road. Most commentators say he died at that time and was taken up in to the third heaven where he saw the presence of God. Now today, when people see the presence of God, they write books about it, right? You know what Paul said after he saw the presence of God? It was so awesome, I can't even tell you about it. You have to see it yourself. But it was so awesome, the love of Christ, the beauty of what God had waiting for him, compelled him to face everything that he faced in life and finish his race. That's what God's calling us to today. Be reconciled with God. Be reconciled with him. Look at verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of of God in him. He poured our sin on Jesus so that he might pour his righteousness on us and change our relationship with God forever. Listen, we're going to celebrate communion, but before we do, I want to share these beginning verses of chapter 6. It says, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Paul would say to us, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you, Father, and we thank you for the truth of your word, God. We thank you for the promise of heaven. And God, if, if any of us could get an accurate picture of what it's like, maybe we, like Paul, would just 
be set to run. Father, your word declares to us that not only is, is heaven our destination, it's our motivation of what we do with the gift that you have given us. That we take that gift of salvation and we share it with others that they might be reconciled to God, have their relationship with God changed permanently. Oh Lord, that's what we want. And Father, as we gather together in this place and we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, what is it that you're declaring to us? You declare to us, now is the time. Today is the day. Today. So if we're here today and you do not have a right relationship with God, maybe you've fallen away and you're struggling God wants that relationship renewed. It's so easy. Maybe today you don't have a relationship with God at all and you want to be reconciled with Him. It's so easy. All that the Lord requires of us is to put our faith and our trust in Him. Believe. Believe means I entrust my weight to it means that I put myself in His hands. That I don't live for me anymore. I live for Him. That I become His hands and His feet. If that hasn't been you, let it be you today. If you haven't had that reconciliation with God may you have that reconciliation today for today is the day Lord God we pray your spirit move among your people Father that those who are struggling would find their peace finally in you all they need to do is open their heart to you and invite you in Father, we pray, be glorified in this day. And as we come to your table, may we remember your body, your blood shed for us. And may the love of Christ compel us that as he died for me, I am called to live for him. Have your way in us, Lord. Have your way in us now and always. We put our faith and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.